Welcome to Lead Pods, the official leadership podcast from USMB for pastors and church leaders, where our goal is to increase our impact together. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the USMB Lead Pods. Thank you for joining us for another episode. I am your host for today. My name is Matt Ayersman, and really grateful for you spending some time with us. So we've got a really important topic today that I'm going to get here shortly, but um, I wanted to start the show today with some good news. Today, we are not going to talk about politics at all, and that's partially because I'm recording in the past, of course, and as I'm recording this, I have no idea who our president is, um, or maybe we don't even know when this episode comes out. Maybe votes are still being counted. I don't know, and that's the last thing I'm going to say because I'm tired of talking about politics, (laughs) and I'm sure you are too. So instead... Today we've got a very important topic that I'm really grateful that we're talking about. Today I'm joined by two Christian therapists, counselors, who um, have some really important and helpful insight on the topic of mental health and self-care this year, maybe more than ever before. This is a topic that is so, so important with COVID and politics and race and just the the messy, messy world that we've been in for the past year or so. And so I'm grateful for Carlin Berman and Cheryl Duick-Smith for joining me. And again, this conversation ran a little bit long, so I'm actually going to cut the intro a little bit short today so we can get right to what they had to say. Thank you again for joining us. I encourage you to listen closely and really take their advice to heart because this is really helpful, good stuff that we all need right now. So one more quick note before we get to the interview that um, we did have a few kind of strange little Zoom hiccups in this conversation. So you might hear a couple little strange noises or the volume might kind of go up and down a couple times. So I apologize in advance for some technical difficulties, but just hang in there and try to concentrate on the really great content. Uh, without further ado, a quick word from a sponsor, and we'll get right to Carlin Berman and Cheryl Duick-Smith. Deciding on the right college is a big deal. At Fresno Pacific University, we get it. We're a private, nonprofit Christian university where your academic success is our priority. Our Mennonite Brethren roots run deep from the classroom to the field. Professors connect you to research and internships. Financial aid makes your education affordable. And with our four-year guarantee, you'll graduate on time to launch your career. All right, my friends, thanks for joining us for another episode of The Lead Pods. We've got um, a really important topic today that I'm excited to dive into. We've got two experts on the line today I'm excited to introduce you to. So thank you to my guests today. We've got Carlin Berman on the line, as well as Cheryl Duick-Smith. They're both uh, marriage and family therapists. So ladies, thank you both of you for joining us today. Thank you, Brad. Absolutely. It's yeah. Like I said, this is an important topic. So we are recording this kind of mid to late September. I think that'll release, release a little bit later here, but we're still thick in COVID world. Um, I know Cheryl, it's a little bit different in California than what it looks like here in Kansas, wherever people are listening, it probably looks slightly different what school and work and church looks like, but we're all facing just crazy times. And I know that's affecting a lot of people's mental health and how they're dealing with this in various ways. And so it's a really important topic. I'm glad we're talking about it. Let's just start by getting to know both of you a little bit. Cheryl, maybe I'll start with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you, your family, your practice? I know you also teach at Fresno Pacific, right? Yeah. Um, I am a marriage and family therapist, and I specialize with working with couples and emotionally focused couples therapy. I also teach a little bit at Fresno Pacific Biblical Seminary um, and supervise associates and trainees in their journey to become licensed therapists. I'm married to my husband, Peter Smith, who's also a professor at Fresno Pacific University. 
and have two boys um, that are um, almost 20 and uh, 17. And we've just, uh, we've lived around the world working with Mennonite Central Committee in Zambia and also in, we were in Czech Republic and Lithuania. So we've had uh, an interesting life that all these things kind of come together as we've landed here in Fresno. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, I was reading your bio. You've been all over the place. It's cool. All right, Carlin, how about you? Tell me about you, you and your family and your practice. Yeah, we, we live here in Heston, Kansas, and we started Central Kansas Counseling, my husband Blake and I, about six years ago um, out of Heston Mennonite Brethren Church, and we're just very blessed to be able to grow, and we needed to move out of there about a year and a half ago, and we've brought on a few more therapists, and just really enjoying that, enjoying connecting our community to our community um, we've got two kids, 11 and 7, and we are venturing into full in-person next week. So we will, we will okay. see uh, how that goes. Um, and Blake is an executive coach here in Heston, and he also just kind of helps. He's a marriage and fa- family therapist as well and helps with ad- administrative stuff around the office and that kind of thing too. Well, I've, I've mentioned this before on this podcast, I think that I, I'm grateful that we're in a season of culture or whatever you want to call it, where mental health seems to be getting a little bit more of a spotlight than it did maybe, I don't know, a decade ago or something like that. At least I'm hearing about it a lot more, even pre-COVID. There seems to be more of a focus on that and more of a, re- uh, a realization that it's an important thing that we need to deal with. I think for a while, we weren't really talking about it very much. And so both of you, maybe especially as we're in COVID here, are you seeing a huge uptick in your clients? And how has your, how has your practice changed since COVID started February, March this year? Well, I can start to speak to that. We, we went from full in person to all of a sudden just a dead stop um, in terms of seeing people face to face and had to move to telehealth for a couple of reasons. We had, Blake and I had, and our family had just come back from visiting some missionaries in Colombia, and then we wouldn't be able to go anywhere for the next two weeks. We needed to be in quarantine. So a little bit more gradually, the rest of the office had to also transition to telehealth. We've noticed there have been some dips in terms of that transition, I think, but people are recognizing the need for just people to walk alongside of them. They're dealing with emotions they've never had to deal with before, at least at this level of intensity Mm -hmm. and for this long. And so we have just noticed that there's a lot of, there's just a lot of referrals going on. A lot of people that want to come in for, for mental health. We have transitioned back into in-person though we're offering other options as well. And so, yeah, that's just an interesting, it's been an interesting journey over the last few months. Yeah. I, I find that all of the issues that we had beforehand just get amplified in this kind of a situation. So when we first all moved to shelter in place mid-March, you remember that crazy week where everything changed daily, I think there were high rates of anxiety, but a lot of people had a a sense of resilience that, you know, we're going to make it through this. Some of the couples that I was working with, they found this is actually a real gift to them. They have more family time. A lot of the stressors that came um, into their relationship and they were conflicted over kind of went away because they had the time together and they could connect. So that was a gift. And there are others that all of their own hurt and their pain was amplified because they were with you know, with their family and with the ones who had, um, maybe were the cause of some of their wounds. 
And so that became even worse, right? Yeah. And then as time has progressed, the the number of people whose coping skills they thought were, were pretty good, those have worn down. And so then now we're having even more of this anxiety, depression, anger, loneliness, boredom, mm. a lot of those things. And my regular ways of coping aren't always available to me anymore. Mm. Community, you know, worship with other people, exercise and being out in nature, at least much, much of our nature has been burning up in the in, you know, in this area. So there's lots of things that we would normally rely on that we can't rely on in the same ways anymore. So then now we're seeing a, kind of a second wave of, of those, not just the ones who initially were feeling the stress of the, the shift, and the, the word pivot, you know, we've been using much of this, um, of this pandemic. There's kind of a second wave and maybe there's gonna even be a third wave of people who's like, oh, things are starting to crack. I yeah. can't keep holding on in this, in this way. It has been just such a crazy year where I remember that week that you're talking about Cheryl, where everything <laughs> came crashing down. And I mean, all of us were having to make last minute changes and a lot of churches were having to make changes like on a Friday before a Sunday. And it was, it was just crazy for all of us. And so I, I'm remembering back in those, in those early days and obviously it was such an unknown. None of us knew what was happening or how long it would last. I'm guessing most people probably didn't think it would last as long as it has now that we're in late September, early October. Um, and so I, 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 it makes sense to me that you're seeing this kind of shift of people have this resilient spirit, but oh my gosh, it's September and this is still happening. Like I, I, I understand, like I'm, I'm kind of there too. So for both of you, again, what are, what are some of the most common, I mean, you've both answered this a little bit, but what, what are some common things you're seeing? And are there any groups of people that you're seeing are being um, a little bit more vulnerable to some of these things or people who might need a little bit more help in this season? Can you tell us just some of the, some of the warning signs and some of the people that are maybe extra vulnerable during this time? Well, I, w- I can speak to the, the question about who's being impacted by this. And I would say that um, some of us have more privilege and so we are insulated from some of this, if we've had families that um, have been supportive and caring for us, if we have um, stable income, I have the kind of a job where I can move to online, I can move to telehealth, and I can continue working. So those that are being more disproportionately impact, impacted by this would be our Black and Latino brothers and sisters, um, partly because we've learned in the research that they are uh, more affected with COVID deaths than much of the other population, and they also have financial worries. And then you add to that um, the racial trauma that is also part of our society. So there's there's so many layers um, for our brothers and sisters, uh, people of color, those who are of lower income, and those who have to continue to work and put themselves at risk with COVID Mm -hmm. because they have no other choice, Um, women, Um, more than men, even if you account for income, women disproportionately take on the caregiving roles in their families, and especially with children going back to school, if that's in person or online, virtual learning, there's just a lot of stress that happens there. But then we can also look at there's adolescents that are really feeling the pain of this and their need for peers that they're not having access to in the same way. Our elderly people, our elderly population, they're also really struggling. And frontline workers, I mean, the list can go on and on with 
all of those. And then, of course, the ones who are in poor health and worrying about how is this going to impact me if I should catch this. So their anxiety is really elevated because of the, the greater risk to their health. Yeah. We could dive in deeper into each of those. But for just a minute, let's talk about um, the adolescents and some of the older the older people, they, they have a similar deficit, maybe that's just that the social interaction is just so crucial for those two age groups. I'm, I'm guessing I'm not a therapist, but like, I know that, you know, the high school kids are going to want to hang out with their friends and some older people probably can't spend as much time with their family as they want. And that's one thing I keep hearing is that those, those risks of social alienation have some pretty big possible damages down the road that we're probably not going to know for a while. Are, are you, Carol, let me, we'll start with you. Are you seeing that or what are some of those kind of social dangers that we need to be aware of? Yeah, I think that there are a lot of social dangers for, for the whole population, but certainly for, for teenagers and for um, the older population, there's just a lot of nursing homes that can't let people in right now. And so families are in lots of ways being cut off from their loved ones there's also a lot of, um, you add on to that, the, that we can access each other through technology, but technology isn't always easily managed in that population. Um, and that's, I, I think they've got helpers alongside them that work in nursing homes and retirement um, populations as well, but it can often be pretty frustrating for them. And so that's just something that that we just have to keep watching out for and helping alongside. There's also just limited access um, to mental health for the older population in terms of Medicare. Lots of us in the mental health world don't aren't allowed to take Medicare. So mm-hmm. where you know they may benefit from speaking with some some you know mental health provider, there's just not there's limited options for that. And so that's that's frustrating and difficult for both sides, really. Cheryl, do you have more to say about the younger population or? Yeah, they're more equipped to be able to relate to each other online. And so in some ways that gift um, helps them to connect, um, whether it's through social media in in different types. And I, I wonder if they're also going to start seeing the limits of it. You know, when you take something to the extreme, something that can be good, and when that's all that you have, you realize the limits of it, and then you pull back, and maybe they'll be craving in a new way that face-to-face interaction um, when it's been taken from them in, in certain respects. So with all these things with the pandemic, there's often things that are huge limitations and drawbacks, but there's a possibility in there. There's an opportunity, a gift that could emerge when they realize, oh, this isn't enough. I really do need that interaction. Hopefully it will spur on relationships and connection in a new way when we're released to do this in, mm-hmm. um, in new forms. But there is higher rates of depression and suicidality mm-hmm. within in these populations that we really have to watch for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's, it's unfortunately just true that we're not going to know a lot of these effects. We're not going to go know for months or years down the road. And, Cheryl, I'm glad you brought up the inequality differences because I think that is a huge, a huge thing where, like you said, some minority people probably don't have the same, well, they definitely don't have the same privileges that the three of us happen to have as just white upper middle class people in America. So um, if for those people listening, if they are in kind of the majority, we're kind of veering off topic here just a little bit, but I think it is important. Like what, what can, 
what can we do to try to help those minority groups? Do you have any ideas of if, if we are in the majority and we, we recognize that our, our kids, friends, or maybe we have family members who are in those demographics that are falling behind, are you seeing that in your practice? And what are some things that we can do on our end of things? Do you have any ideas? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is, and it feels limited in some ways, but we have to do our own work. We have to do our own understanding and making sense of where does this injustice and this inequality come from? Hmm. And that will allow us to be allies to our brothers and sisters of color so that we can recognize the trauma and the things that don't make sense to us. We think, why is there anxiety so high? Why would it, things that we don't understand, we can easily dismiss. Mm -hmm. When we do more of our own reading, having our, these important conversations, checking our own biases and the ways that we've seen the world that maybe aren't a, a true reflection of how uh, things work in our world, that will help us to sit with and not necessarily um, be in a position of power or helping, but to come alongside and say, what is it that you need? How can I support you? How can I hear your story? How can I see you in a way that is um, validating? And then and listening to what they're needing, right? Yeah. And some might need access to resources. Some of us in our, we have our benevolent funds in our churches sometimes that is really great for people who need to have their, their rent paid or to have groceries, but do we have money set aside for mental health care, for the elderly, for um, those in our community who may not have access to insurance that would help pay for therapy, for, um, for families and for couples, for individuals, for kids? Do we make our money available um, mm -hmm. and have some kind of funding so that people have access to mental health care? A little bit of a curveball there, Carl, but I just think that's a really important issue that I think it's good for people of privilege just to keep raising that flag. So I'm glad you brought it up, Cheryl. So thank you for speaking into that. Um, so let's back up for just a minute. Let's just go kind of bigger picture. So again, we kind of started by talking about self-care, that it is a little bit more in the spotlight than it has been in previous generations, especially. Could both of you talk a little bit about that? Like how, how do you define self-care and maybe even give some basic tips for people who are listening. Maybe they're on, you know, some end of the spectrum dealing with this COVID thing. We all are facing just a lot of uncertainty. So let's start. What What is self-care? And do you have just some basic things that we should all be aware of to help recognize what needs we might be having in this in this tough season? So I recently ran across uh, Dr. David Rose. He's teaching a class on stewardship of self. And he, um, I love the way he phrased that. I think that we get better um, direction when we think about uh, taking care of self so that we can take care of others. I think that it helps us manage maybe any feelings of selfishness that might come up or beliefs of selfishness that might come up that block our, our path to self-care. Um, and so when we think about that, like what kinds of things can we do to help steward our own bodies and our own minds I also think about like, how do I teach my children how to, to do their own stewardship of self as well? I want them to see me doing that so that they know what that looks like mm -hmm. um, as they grow into spaces that um, they're going to need to take charge of some of those own, some of those things in their own lives. Like Cheryl was saying before, there's a lot of coping mechanisms that have worked really well for a lot of us for a long period of time that we've lost over the course of the last six months. Um, and so we might have to get creative about how do we, how do we find those things? Do we need to alter them? 
Yeah, I don't know. And, and you've talked a little bit about some tips for that or some things that you can do. I think there's, there's a lot of areas that you can explore just being in nature, um, taking care of your, your body. So exercise and food and what that might look like for you. Um, spiritual life, that has been interesting because lots of us are still separated from our church home or um, doing church online. Some of us have been able to go back. We've had, we've had limited access to church for the last six months now and just pretty intentionally chosen to engage with a small group of people that we know we can social distance with that are like-minded and are going to encourage us in our faith and those sorts of things. So finding people, I think, that, that encourage you spiritually, um, that make you feel like you belong, um, those are really important things. Yeah, those are kind of, I know Cheryl's going to be able to add to that, but those are some at least starting thoughts. Yeah, what, what do you have to add there, Cheryl? Yeah, I like what Carlin is saying with this. And the, there's so many ways that we can talk about self-care. We can talk about the stewardship of self. We can talk about soul care or Sabbath rest. Um, sometimes even this, just the name self-care, people are triggered by it. They're like, no, I can't do that. But when we think about it as um, a way to love God, love ourselves, and love others, I, I used to live in Africa, and they have these three-legged stools, um, and you kind of have to have all three of these, right? Otherwise, you're going to fall off, or you're not going to have stability. So, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It has all, all of those components in it, and so... Um, I have a, a definition from Dr. Papa, who is a colleague and my former professor, and she says that self-care is an intentional, proactive approach of personal care for the self that encompasses the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and relational aspects mm -hmm. of life. So all of these different areas, and you get that in the mind, um, soul, heart, strength, right? You've got all of those different pieces. And so often we might think of self-care as self-indulgence um, as opposed to this is how I nurture myself in these different, all these important facets of my life so that I can love God well, so that I can love my neighbor well. It's not one or the other. As long as it gets out of whack and we think, well, if I engage in self-care, I'm just going to um, just be doing all these things for myself. And it, it is what enables us to move into outreach, into um, active engagement with others. And that needs to also be paired with my own contemplation and love of God, right? So we're kind of moving back and forth between these things all the time. Mm -hmm. The hard thing is that most of us know what we need to do for self-care. We have some ideas of things that would be good for us, you know, rhythms of rest and exercise and eating well and getting together with the people and some form of um, spiritual exercises or devotionals, but we don't do it, right? Or we do it a little bit, or we start and then stop. So I think it's kind of important to think about what is it that blocks us mm -hmm. from engaging in these things that we know are going to be good for us, that will help us mature spiritually and love our neighbors well, as well as take care of ourselves. I think that's the hard part for us. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was my next question. I'm guessing you, you both see a lot of, again, there's kind of a spectrum of some people probably say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm strong enough. I don't need any help. I can, I can take care of this by myself. I don't need to come see a therapist. 
And then on the other end, maybe there's some people who say, well, kind of like you were saying, Cheryl, self-care sounds indulgent. Like I, I don't need to pamper, pamper myself by getting help. I, I, they might feel guilty by getting some extra help that they feel like they don't deserve or they shouldn't need help from. I'm guessing you see a spectrum there. I guess, first of all, is that true? And then what are some signs that you might encourage people to look for if they start thinking maybe they do need some help or maybe they actually are relying on someone too much and they maybe should do a little bit more on their own? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a lot of different ways that we block self-care depending on what we're dealing with. So people who have had trauma in their lives, there's a lot of different underlying beliefs that might exist that cause them to not feel maybe like they're worthy of taking care of self, feeling like we have to carry, for caregivers, maybe we have to carry the responsibility of taking care of everybody else. I think people can sometimes get into a place too where they feel kind of backed into a corner and like they don't have options for one reason or another. And um, so that could be financial or it could be I don't have friends and I don't know how to get friends. Um, Mm -hmm. There could be a lot of circumstances even that come up and block them from getting, from being able to engage in self-care. I I know that there are others. One that comes up for me um, right now is um, I just had a conversation with someone the other day that said, I know that this is a big deal, but I just don't care anymore. Um, You know, they, they, they could see that the coronavirus is still going it's, it's something I need to pay attention to. I just don't have, I don't have the wherewithal to care. Yeah. And I think that what happens is we live and um, emote kind of, we, we have emotions inside this window of tolerance. We can only take so much. Mm-hmm. And when we get to a place where we're operating outside of that window of tolerance, we have to find a way to re-regulate it. And lots of times that happens with apathy. And so I think apathy is a huge um, indicator light that maybe we've just taken on too much and we need to back up a little bit, push the pause button, figure out how to either feel what we're feeling um, with some support, find some coping mechanisms that work for us. um, Just get kind of back on that space in that space where we feel like we can tolerate what's going on around us again. So that's a big one that I've, I've seen a lot recently. I love what you're saying, Carlin, about um, this, this window of tolerance and our anxiety and in our bodies, we've been holding and revving high. You can think about like a car, you know, like the engine, we're like we've been revving high for so long and then our body starts to deteriorate. So you can even be listening to your body um, with headaches or with your um, stomach issues that tells us that we've been holding on to this energy. And if when we can't do it that anymore, yeah, we move into this collapse or this apathy that we don't, we can't do that. And sometimes what we do is we turn to other methods of trying to calm our anxiety. So this is where we're seeing more addictions, Mm -hmm. uh, more alcohol and drugs uh, to be able to numb ourselves because that's our what we think is our best solution to calm ourselves and get our bodies out of that anxious revved up state or that high alert, high arousal that we're in or pornography is also one of those things that we turn to or social media and we numb ourselves, all these different ways that we numb ourselves and try to regulate, but actually aren't very helpful and create more anxiety 
we think it's going to calm us down, but it actually doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, so those would be some warning signs that I would look for as well. In terms of your the first part of that question um, and what blocks us, sometimes it's our theology, right, that you were getting yeah. at. Like, how do we see ourselves? And is ourselves as something evil? Is it something bad or sinful? Or is this um, ourself that is created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, that is loved and cherished and that God delights in us. One of my favorite authors, Henry Nouwen, says uh, that he warns us that self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Mm. So do we even see ourselves as the beloved and worthy of this care? Mm -hmm. And if we don't, we're going to run ourselves ragged. We're not going to pay attention and do the things that will um, help us to thrive. Mm -hmm. The selfishness, the feeling of selfishness or guilt. And sometimes our churches feed into this too. You know, they emphasize service and caring for everybody else. And then it ends up not being a gift to ourselves or to other people. Um, and it also becomes our identity. What we're doing becomes our identity instead of who we are. Um, so those are some things that also block us from being able to even engage in, in self-care. And then sometimes our self-care, we believe in it, but then it becomes burdensome. It just becomes another to-do, you know, thing on our to-do list that we're supposed to be doing. Or the things that we've chosen as self-care things are things that we really don't like. So if I put running on my self-care, like this is what I should be doing and I hate running, you know, I'm not going to do it because this is somebody else's list that I've adopted as opposed to really spending time listening to myself and who God has created to, to me to be and what would be life-giving for me in my particular circumstances. There are things that have been blocked that I can't do because of COVID, but there are things that I can do that could be creative. I might need to think outside the box. And all of those areas that I talked about before that physically and spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally. I, I imagine all of us, if we were disciplined enough to sit down for even just a few minutes and think about that, I think we could all probably think of things that we know we need or want or whatever, but we just don't take the time to do that. So I think I'm guilty of that. I know probably most people are that just having the discipline of taking time to actually think and yeah, take care of yourself. That's something that we're not very good at. Sure. One thing you just said, I think is really interesting is the whole, the, the theology and the church side of it. I know, again, this is kind of morphed, I think in a healthy way over the years, but I know I've heard people say like, well, if I'm a Christian, I shouldn't need counseling or I shouldn't need help. I should be able to pray and do spiritual disciplines and take care of this on my own because I've got the Holy Spirit and I don't need anybody else. Like, again, I think it's, I think it's morphed a little bit, but I think there's still a little bit of that in some people where they say, if I'm a good Christian and I, I can pray and God can help me, but I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that sounds a little dangerous to me. Are, do you still encounter that? And what would you say if someone kind of comes from that kind of background? Absolutely, we encounter it. I love the Holy Spirit. I'm so grateful that we have a comforter and we have the Holy Spirit to empower us and, and walk alongside us in these things. And God's also given us community, right? And, and the body of Christ to be connected to. I love in Ecclesiastes, I think that's where it talks about um, two are better than one. Um, and we often take that as to be marriage, but that's not the context of the passage is not about that. Um, but that we need somebody who can pick us up when we fall down. We need people who will journey alongside of us. 
it, that sounds more like the rugged individualism of our society than a reflection of the kingdom of God. Yeah. So I might want to caution us to, to be able to separate those two out a little bit and say, oh, wait a minute, we live by a different kind of covenant, a different kind of way of being in the world that is shaped by the, the kingdom of God instead. That says it's okay to have a healthy interdependence with those people who are around us, mm -hmm. um, that we don't have to walk and journey alone. And Carlin, anything to add there? I know like this this really is kind of a spiritual issue. We don't really think of it that way, but do you want to talk about that a little bit? You know, the the direction my brain was headed, I was I was thinking back a little bit to some of the conversation about coping mechanisms and and to thinking about how the church has really handled emotion in the past. And it feels like we I love the church and and I think that we value emotion and we can see that biblically, Jesus valued emotion and felt emotion as well. But I think there are times that we kind of just brush it aside and encourage ourselves to think rationally, just kind of keep walking forward in the way that we know we're supposed to go. I think one of the problems with that is that we have not learned how to feel. There, I think there are lots of people, there are lots of people that I encounter that just pile coping mechanism on top of coping mechanism on top of coping mechanism. And when those fall apart, they're still carrying all the emotional stress in their body. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think one of the things that I continue to see and continue to encourage for people is there needs to be some space where we finally just put the coping mechanisms down just for a few seconds and notice what emotions are going on inside our bodies so we can process them and move through them. We rarely get stuck in emotion. Um, it's meant to just let us know what's going on, remind our bodies where we're at, what we're dealing with, and then when we feel them, we can move through them. I just want to add that to a, a conversation about coping mechanisms because I, I think that coping mechanisms, they're just that. They're not always dealing with the actual issue. Does that does that feel true to you, Cheryl? You experience that as well with people. Yeah, differently. Especially, in, especially in the church, we don't know what to do with our feelings. We don't know what to do with our emotions. I like the the metaphor of uh, of a train going through a tunnel, and our emotions just need to go through the tunnel to get to the other side. And oftentimes we block the tunnel because we think, oh, no, we're going through a scary tunnel instead of saying this is exactly our bodies, our minds, our souls know what they need to do. They need to just, we just need to feel it and we'll move to the other side. But we use, unfortunately, we use scripture, we use platitudes, we use all kinds of methods to block that tunnel. And our emotions can't just do what it needs to do to be able to have this natural flow It'll be intense for a little bit, and then it will calm down after that. That's what our emotions do. It gets bigger and more intense when we block it. Right. And so there's this idea called spiritual bypass that we, we want to get to the other side of that tunnel. We know we need to go there, but we try to use these spiritual platitudes to get us to the other side without doing the work, without doing um, having the journey to get us to that point. I think maybe that's what I think about. Uh, and we use all these coping methods, to, you know, like to keep us from feeling when we could just feel it. And it might be five minutes of intense crying or just release. It might be longer and it might come in waves, but it's worse when we hold it in and we block it. 
instead of God having the sense of God coming alongside us, having this, the Holy Spirit journeying with us in the midst of our pain and with us in our emotions, helping to carry that with us, having our church community or friends just be present with us. They don't need to do anything with it, just to be with us in it. And it will subside over time. So I, that's what I was thinking about when you were talking about emotions. But when we block it, we try all these other things with alcohol, with drugs, with shopping, you name it. We do these things to block our feelings instead of saying, I can move through these emotions. And with God's help, I'll move to the other side. And it won't be as horrible as I think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. It won't overcome me. It won't overtake me by God's grace. That's really good. One thing that I'm thinking as you're, as you both are speaking, again, I want to be really careful not to stereotype or generalize, but one thing as I was hearing you is just, I'm curious if you've seen differences in men and women in this season, as you're talking, I'll just speak as a, from a guy perspective, we, we don't know what to do with our emotions sometimes. Right. And we, we're not good at just like, I can't really remember the last time I've just sat and cried. Maybe I should, but are you seeing a difference male, female, especially in this season? Or do you have any specific advice for, Again, I don't want to stereotype, but if a guy has a hard time knowing what to do with his feelings or maybe a woman's in a similar situation, you want to talk about that at all? Maybe some tips that might be helpful for those two groups? Yes, it might be stereotyping. I do think that across the genders that there are different personalities that experience emotion different ways. And I think as a culture, we have done males a disservice um, in terms of what we act like we expect from them when it comes to emotion. Mm. Um, and so I, I do think you can see it more often in males, partially because of just the way we expect males to, to act and to experience emotion and to maybe not cry because you need to stay strong for the rest of the family or whatever, whatever the narrative is behind that. I think there are probably a whole lot of different ways to help people start to get in touch with their emotion. And I think the thing that I would say first off if, is, is if somebody's thinking about trying to do that and it starts to just feel overwhelming to them, that there's always, um, hopefully that there's, there's therapists that they can reach out to or there's friends or pastors that they can reach out to because I think when we feel overwhelmed, it's very difficult to just sit with emotion and let it pass. <laughs> then we start to do all those blocking and, you know, trying to run away from and avoid mechanisms that, that keep us stuck. Just some really maybe easy things that you can start to do just to kind of sit down and just turn your attention inward a little bit, pay attention to, are there spaces even in my body where I feel a certain emotion or a certain sensation? Do I have any thoughts that go along with that? I often have people Put some imagery to their emotions. So if you're feeling something in, a, in, let's say in your stomach, talk to me about what that would look like. What shape would that be? Um, what size would that be? Would there be a color to it? Would there be a temperature to it? And then if people are comfortable with it, just letting them sit with it and notice what do I, what kind of thoughts come up? What kind of emotions come up? What kind of sensations in my body? And are there any experiences that that's connected to or not? And then just watch it change. That's one of the really simple things that I do with people often. I love that. 
I work with couples, with couples primarily, and I will often, when the couples come in and they hear that I do emotionally focused therapy, they, especially the guys might freak out um, right away. But what I have found is that the men that I work with actually are quite in tune with their emotions. They know it and they feel it inside often quicker and more, you know, they, they, they have a really deep felt sense of their emotion, of their emotions, and they pick up on it on other, other people really well. They just don't know what to do with it. They haven't been taught. They haven't been socialized into being able to express it, to connect with somebody around it. But once we work with them in that, in that situation, their wives are often very surprised. Wow, he feels a lot more than I thought he did. It just gets blocked because they don't quite know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's there may be some gender differences a bit, but I think that's all just socialization and what's been taught in our society and not biological by any means. And it, it just sometimes just takes pausing, mm-hmm. um, slowing down, and not having the stigma attached to it that says this is normal. This is just what it means to be authentically human to have these emotions. There's nothing wrong with me. Men are often avoiding the perception of being weak, right? And it's some, there is something really vulnerable about having these emotions and letting them come to the surface and allowing somebody else to witness it and hold it with you. And we're all a bit allergic to vulnerability um, in our society. And so I think that's, that's part of the difficulty of it. But once we create a safe space, where it's okay to be vulnerable, to be real, I find that both men and women can access that emotion and um, it can be really beautiful and sacred when they hold it together. You know, not hold it together as like, I've got no problems, but hold the emotion with the other person um, to share it with them and to be seen and known and loved in the midst of that. So much healing happens in those moments. Yeah, that is, that is beautiful, well said. And Cheryl, you keep teeing me up perfectly. So my next question or the next thing I wanted to talk about is I've heard this several times and you probably have heard it and said it several times that it is okay for people to be struggling, like especially right now. Like we are in a pandemic (laughs) and there's race issues that have not been around for a while and there's political junk that's just overwhelming and there's, you know, the social media stuff and then the kids in school and work and like we are living through a very difficult time. And I, I think I maybe emailed this to you, both of you and I've, I'm going to butcher it, but I've seen a quote, something that it's normal for normal people to feel unnormal when the world isn't normal. <laughs> like it is okay. If you're struggling with anxiety or depression, or even just you feel off, it is okay. And it is very normal for you to be feeling like that. Um, again, I don't come from a therapy background. Can either of you talk or maybe even just give some encouragement if people are wrestling with feelings they haven't had to wrestle with before it's okay and it's normal right what any other encouragement you'd share along those lines yeah i i mean we're in the middle of really a worldwide trauma that we are that is continuing for a long period of time mm-hmm. uh and so i don't think we should be expecting our bodies to perform um mentally physically emotionally the same way that we do when we're when our stress level is low and we're managing life well. That's that is our normal right now, mm-hmm. um, and I, and we do we do carry trauma around in our bodies. It's something that can turn into physical health issues. It can turn into 
you know, all of these other mental health issues, depression, anxiety, lots of other, well, all of the, you know, the addiction issues and all those things that we talked about earlier. I think one of the, one of the, the best things that I've heard in this last while is it's really okay to just feel what you're capable of and do that. Like you don't have to be picking up a new hobby or be making massive changes to your living space. Like it's okay to, to just take a nap on a Saturday afternoon or, you know, whatever it might be. So yeah, learning how to be okay with living or to be as okay as we can be to take care of ourselves the best that we can while we're living in the midst of a global pandemic and a global trauma. There might be a, another gift in this for us. Absolutely. That is um, a message that is runs countercultural to what our society tells us about go, 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 do more, achieve more. And depending on our situation and our context, if we can, I know there's some who can't, um, but if we can allow ourselves to slow down or even to release the expectations that burden us and allow ourselves to be in this space in a different way, that can be really helpful. Listening to our bodies when enough is enough, listening to our minds and our souls and we say, I can't do more on this. I also think we've been shielded from a lot of this. And if we've, if we've lived in other parts of the world, we think about our Syrian brothers and sisters and refugees, other places that have experienced long, hard lives um, on so many different levels. We've been shielded from that, many of us, not all of the US, but many of us have been shielded from that. And so we've been a bit blindsided by what it feels like, but maybe this will engender some compassion in us towards other people, towards immigrants, towards refugees, towards people in other worlds who have struggled with um, food scarcity and all of those kinds of things. And now we have a bit more like, oh, this is what it feels like. So maybe it will it'll make us more compassionate towards other people, but it also means we have to be compassionate towards ourselves. So we normalize it. We say, yeah, it's okay. This, we are in, we're in an extended period of uncertainty, which is super hard. All these other layers. And, and many of us struggle before this, you know, the very few of us, like life was absolutely perfect until March 13th or whatever it was that date was. Many of us had our own wounds and our own hurts and struggles and conflicts that we were already dealing with. And this just adds a lot more into it. So being really gracious with ourselves and recognizing this is how much I can do. Yeah. Um, and isn't it great that God's love towards us isn't dependent on what we do. So, you know, we can rest in that, in that and hold ourselves in a different space that can be really helpful. And Cheryl, you're reading my notes because that was my <laughs> next question. So this is, this is, again, it's a heavy time. Like it's just, it's, it's easy to slip into focusing on all the things that are hard and difficult. And it's, but I'm curious, you hinted at some of those already, Cheryl, but what others, what are some other positive things that you see coming out of this? Like, what are you seeing that gives you a little bit of hope for when, whenever we turn this corner, if we ever turn this corner, how are some things, what are some things that you hope life looks a little bit different? And like, for me, I never realized how much I loved going to a movie theater. Like I cannot wait to go see a movie or to go to a chief's game again. Or like, just, I think for me, like I'm, there's little things 
I can't wait to just really enjoy again. I think we just got so accustomed to these things that, again, maybe not even that high, doesn't have to be that special of an event, but just those little things that we took for granted. Are there other things that you're seeing that you hope maybe this, this time that we've been in puts a positive spin as we move forward? One of the things I think you're talking about is just pulling back from being less engaged in the moment. That th- That's kind of what we do on a regular basis when we're so busy, we don't really have time to take it all in. And now we've pulled back and you're going, what? I really love these things. Mm-hmm. I really miss these things. I think going back into it, I'm hoping that I can ad- adopt a bit of a child's perspective, kind of this, I'm doing this for the first time again. How can I really be present here? And I think that's going to be really neat. We can start practicing that now, just in the really little things, you know, getting to use or getting to maybe buy yeast at the grocery store and <laughs> that's been out of stock for so long. And maybe I can bake a, you know, a loaf of bread and just really spend time enjoying it. Um, I also see, um, I just hear a lot of people talking about if they've been able to slow down, whether that's been a positive for them or a negative because they've lost their job. When things start to move back to a place where we're expected to be more busy, how can I be really intentional about the things that I want to invest in? Um, I think that's a gift that we are going to be able to look at and get critical, really healthily critical about in terms of, you know, connecting with our spouses and our families and our kids and saying, these are the things we really want to, we really want to be a part of because they're life-giving for us. And these are things that we've done in the past, but they just haven't been helpful for others. They haven't been helpful for us. We're going to pull out of those things. Um, those are two of the things that I, that I, my brain just right away goes to when you, when you ask about other gifts coming out of this. We have a tremendous opportunity to do some serious reflection about what do we really value and what do we want to hold on to? What's important in our lives? I liked the word that you were using, Carlin, about being intentional and living intentionally. And so often we just, kind of do things because everybody's doing it. This is just the way it is here. And I'm a little concerned that we're just, we can't wait to go back to how it was mm-hmm. and how it was, wasn't all that awesome in some respects. Like there were some good things to be sure. But um, like I said before that, you know, our mental health was a major issue before the pandemic. It's just been exacerbated, but our way of life in the United States hasn't really been sustainable on many, many levels. Mm-hmm. If you think about um, earth care, you know, and climate change and um, racial relations, even how we do church, um, there's so many opportunities for us to um, allow the Holy Spirit to breathe life into these things in new ways for us to reimagine it. But again, that, that what you talked about, Carlin, before about apathy is that I'm, I'm worried that we're going to not, we haven't maybe not conserved, conserved enough energy to be able to do that thoughtful work that says, when I get to re-engage in new ways, who do I want to be? How do I want to reflect God's character in a different way than maybe what I did and how I live? 
on, on many different levels, not just with my friends and family, but in larger societal ways. Mm -hmm. So maybe there are some gifts and opportunities there that we may not have seen otherwise. I was an interim pastor this past year, of all years to be wow. <laughs> stepping wow. into pastoring. Um, God has a sense of humor. But a lot of those conversations too says, when we can't do the things that we normally would do to be the church, how are we going to reimagine it? And how exciting that can be if we're not too stressed out and burnt out and anxious to be able to engage that, which is why self-care is so important that when we do that, we will be able to be renewed and enter into this in a new way for as long as this pandemic goes on. Who knows when it's going to be over? So we can't just say when it's done. We have to learn how to live now in a sustainable way so that we can we can thrive and not just survive it. And that's good. I feel convicted of that because I feel I think you're right that so many of us live lives that it's not sustainable in the long term. And yeah, this has kind of forced that to rise to the surface. So yeah, I'm hopeful that some good will come of this, even in the midst of the crazy year we've had. Okay, we're running late on time already. I feel like I've still got more I'd love to talk to you about. I, I, This is such an important topic. Like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm glad, at least in my world, it does seem like the stigma is starting to ease a little bit. People are starting to notice that this is really important. So first of all, thank you to both of you for the work that you're doing and for helping us out today. We are running out of time here, but is there anything that either of you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to yet before we wrap up today? Maybe just the, like the metaphor of self-care, we can either think of it like a Band-Aid where when I'm bleeding, I'm going to put it on and it's just kind of a stopgap measure. Um, and instead thinking of it more like um, a seatbelt where we get used to just putting it on and it can um, protect us um, if, if something happens, but it just becomes a way of life instead of something that is, is just brief, something that we are doing just in the moment when we're in crises, instead of, no, this is just what it means to be able to live life in a good, healthy way. So mm -hmm. I'd encourage us um, that hopefully even after the crisis kind of goes down a little bit here with the pandemic, that we don't stop talking about the need for stewardship of the self or Sabbath rest or self-care, that this becomes a part of our ongoing conversation in the church and in our circles. You know, I think the biggest thing is just that we continue to be real with each other, um, just that we continue to be present and provide, um, like Cheryl was talking about before, um, let's find more and more ways to provide safety for people and companionship. Loneliness is a really hard place to be. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this because it's happening all around us. <laughs> and the more we talk about it, the more we, um, I, think, I think we start to see opportunities. And that's a really important thing. All right. Well, again, I want to thank both of you again for, for the work that you do day in and day out with your, with your patients and your clients and what you've helped us with today. I'm just grateful for a chance to talk like you just said, Carlin. It's an important thing for us to keep talking about. And I hope that the church leaders listening um, will continue that with the people they have influence over. And we are all in a season where we could use a little bit more help. So let's be gracious and kind to each other and do what we can to, to help that, especially in this season. So ladies, thank you both for your time today. Very grateful. Thank you. Thank you.
On December 1st, USMB will launch our annual Giving Tuesday campaign to celebrate and encourage giving. Over the past six years, we've raised over $176,000 for Kingdom Ministries. This year, with your help, we hope to add to that amount. All donations on Giving Tuesday will help resource USMB church planters and provide lead initiatives for MB pastors and churches. Please consider supporting USMB on Giving Tuesday by visiting usmb.org and follow the link to donate online. You can also watch your inbox and follow USMB on social media for more information. Thanks for your continued generosity on this year's Giving Tuesday. Well, once again, I want to thank uh, Cheryl and Carlin for just really great conversation today, as well as some really great pointers that I think we'd all be wise to follow. And again, I don't want to repeat myself too much. I think I said a lot of several of these things, right, as we wrapped up the conversation with these ladies. But I just encourage you listening wherever you are today, especially if you're listening uh, when this episode comes out at the beginning of November. Please just let's all try to do a really concentrated, uh, ramped up effort just to be kind and gracious to each other. This has been a hard, hard year, and it's it doesn't look like it's going to magically go away anytime soon. So um, with COVID, with the election results, wherever those end up landing, um, please just be gracious and kind both to other people and to yourself. If you're struggling, there's nothing wrong with getting a little bit of extra help from um, someone like Cheryl and Carlin, who are you know Christians who come from the same worldview. They have training to help you deal with some of these things that we're all facing. And you know, last episode we talked about you know the politics on the online stuff, and I've just been really um, reminded lately that if you're pretty public about your faith, which I hope you are, we all should be. Our friends and family should know that we're followers of Christ. Some of this stuff is just so important that we don't give Christians and Christianity a bad name with how we handle the world when it's difficult, right? If you need some help, don't be afraid or ashamed to reach out and ask for it. And again, just one more friendly reminder to be friendly to the people in your world, especially to those who might be hurting after this this crazy year that we've all been in. Okay, that's enough public service, <laughs> public service announcements for today. Again, I'm grateful for your time. And as we're beginning to wrap up the year here, I hope you are able to wind down yourself a little bit, take some time off work, hopefully, and enjoy some time with family and friends as we enter in this holiday season. And I wish you a really great weekend, and I'll look forward to seeing you next time right here on The Lead Pods. Thanks for listening to Lead Pods. Make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to our show wherever you're listening today. Learn more by visiting usmb.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll see you next time as we learn more practical tools to increase our impact together.